It's well known that the believers in Macedonia were a constant source of encouragement to the Apostle Paul. They perhaps were not as gifted as some, you think of those at Corinth, and they were, they were noteworthy for their gifts for whatever reason. In the providence of God in that locality, God was pleased to just lavish gifts upon many of the believers there in a way that was outstanding. But the Macedonians, while they are not noted for such gifts, they are noted for grace. And they are a constant source of encouragement to Paul because they abounded in great grace. It's not that they didn't have their issues. They did. <laughs> they had their issues. Oh, but Paul, Paul still rejoices in them. Look at the language of verse 1 of chapter 4 of Philippians 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown. Think, think of that, that language, my brethren, dearly beloved, longed for joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He, he is... Could, could he communicate his affection anymore? Clearly he is, he is filled with joy. His, his thoughts as he considered these people were just filled with, with joyful thoughts. He was happy. He was, he was delighting and rejoicing in the Lord when he considered them. And I, again, it's not because they were perfect. This epistle is written in part to address concerns. There are real concerns. And so it reminds us that our expectations need to be adjusted when we think of God's people. Uh, I know Christians, Christians are meant to, to be better. They're, they're meant to exhibit the transforming power of God's grace. They're meant to be, of course, new creatures in Christ, and the old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. They're meant to exhibit a different pattern of behavior. They're meant to be salt and light. They are, there are all sorts of of verses that, that, that indicate the distinction between God's people and the rest of the world. But while that is true and must be maintained, and I have emphasized that on many occasions, at the same time we are not therefore to have expectations that are unrealistic. Paul was not establishing or serving perfect churches. Even Paul's effort to establish churches did not result in perfect churches. His, his service to them did not make them perfect. His letters were not received and all of a sudden had this perfect sanctifying effect upon every recipient. And so we, we live with one another in the knowledge that there's a lot of tolerance that has to be expressed. Love has to cover a multitude of sins. And of course, if we truly love one another, then we look for ways to, to look beyond the faults that we see. We, we look for ways to, to try and, and not feel so negative towards one another. If we, if we truly love, if we don't love, then, then we're quick to see the fault and we actually want to magnify it. That's when you know whether someone really loves you or not. Our world has become a breeding ground for unhinged intolerance. And it's, it's, it's happening. And the pressure, the pressure on us all to join in with 
this language and rhetoric of intolerance is, is very real. As you watch the news, both locally, nationally, internationally, there are many reasons to, to be upset. And then with, with that, then to speak, to speak and to think and to have your mind filled with that, that really is aligned with the intolerance of the day. Now, because you're hearing intolerant language. I was just watching a, a British journalist. Um, I've, it's a certain um, journalist I've followed for the most of this whole pandemic. Um, I haven't really followed any particular journalist with any a kind of uh, loyalty, with, with the exception of him. Uh, he, he appears to be a very well-adjusted, well-rounded journalist, and his effort is to is to, to bring some perspective to everything that's going on. And he, he was in Vienna. Austria is the first nation that has, has mandated, has, has brought in a restriction to specifically the unvaccinated. So if you're not vaccinated, you, you're only allowed, to, if you're 12 and over, you're only allowed to leave the house for medical care, for school, for work. And I think that's about it, really. Um, you, you're not allowed to leave the house unless it's for those reasons. So a third of the population now are under that, one-third. And as he was interviewing the various uh, people on the street, it was clear, at least, I don't know how many he interviewed, and I don't know how he edited it all, so again, take it with a a pinch of salt. But what it was presented, at least, was there was an abundance of people who were quite happy that one-third of the population had no liberty to go wherever they pleased. They were quite content with that. They, they, they had no problem with it. And, and almost there was this, this rhetoric in them that was glad that this had happened. We're, 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 we're glad. It serves them right. And it's this intolerance. Intolerance to something that really there has to be much more charity towards. Wherever you fall on the matter, there has to be charity. Without love, you're nothing. Now, there are times where you have to draw lines. I, I get that. You do. You have, to, you have to draw lines. But we have to be careful where we draw those lines and how we speak then. The most important thing, beloved, is the gospel. All that's going on will come and go. We have gone through millennia of kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling, of restrictions made and liberties lost and regained and movements of people. and all. I mean, it's all happened. Every, there's not anything new under the sun. And of course, like Solomon, if you really look at it, you end up thinking like the vanity of everything, really. And, and there's a certain amount of truth that everything's just like given to the wind, right? It's just, it's just, it's just empty. That's what Solomon's saying. It's just, it's, just, it's just empty. It's all empty. Stop getting all, all riled up about what is empty. These, these restrictions these, on everything else and all of it is, is empty. Just, just, just know where the lines are when you come to the end of Ecclesiastes and the whole, the, the, here the whole matter is to, is to fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Right? Keep, keep the Lord and our service to Him central. As I watched, I watched the, and I continue to occasionally see what's going on, and 
I, my, my concern this week, however, was very much to myself, the, the, the temptation in my own heart to be intolerant. And what came to mind was 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3 and following, where Peter reminds the oversight of the church, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There's, 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 there's reward for leading rather than driving, for, and, and, and in leading. Why do you drive? You drive because you must have it this way, right? That's why you drive. People get driven because the dictator must have it his way or no way at all. But the oversight of the church must recognize that sheep do err. And everyone learns at a different pace. And maturity comes at different speeds and experience and everything else. All these variables that exist within the church. So he rewards those that, that lead by example rather than driving. And it goes on then to say, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Okay, they have to be humble too. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Yes, the cares, the cares that you want to control, the cares that you want to govern everything, about, instead, just give them over to God and stay humble. Yeah, your care for your nation, your care for your community, your care for yourself and your liberties, cast them on to the Lord and stay humble. That was a word to me. Don't, don't, don't fall into this, this kind of rhetoric. Be very careful about the things that you say. And even though this church was Paul's joy and crown, what was the flaw in their heart? Of course, it was that of pride. And he has to address it. He has to remind them to have the mind of Christ in them, if you read Philippians chapter 2. And maybe the fact that they had been such examples and exemplary, their behavior had been uh, so discussed and talked about around the churches, maybe that had gone to some of their heads. I don't know. But in verse 10, as Paul commends them again for their generosity, and how they had given, and again, you can read Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 for the exemplary way in which they had sacrificed materially to the Lord. But the, the, the little words, that the few words I want to just focus in on tonight are found at the end of verse 10. Ye lacked opportunity. Let me read it again, the entire text. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, when you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. If I was to paraphrase it, I put it this way. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because your care and concern for me has been renewed. You had been concerned about me before, but you had no opportunity to show it. But the opportunity arose, and they seized upon that opportunity. And that's, that's what follows then from verse 10. So I want to just think about this little phrase and, and the whole concept of opportunity. He lacked opportunity. Before I get to it, though, I was thinking, <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful 
that the things that we kind of know we've missed out on or things that we wonder where we fall short in our Christian lives, that the Lord will say, as He says, well done. He also says in these areas, you lacked opportunity. I wish that was the case. I wish, I wish this was the assessment of the Lord for us in many cases. You lacked opportunity. Far too often, the opportunities are there, but we do not seize upon them. So therefore, how commendable it is that this can be said of this church. But let's think about this whole idea of opportunity as we consider it here in the context. First, opportunities to materially bless. And in this case, of course, it's, it's to do with the missionary. Paul the missionary. The opportunity to materially bless the missionary Paul. They looked for that. And they didn't always have the opportunity to do so, but once they had that opportunity, they seized upon it. How can we help Paul and his cause? And it's wonderful. Again, you read about it, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you go there and you see just how generous they were and what Paul says of them, really giving becomes a matter not of percentages, but of grace. It's not wrong to be mathematical in your giving. I mean... There's a, there's a reason that we, we have to manage things, and stewardship requires looking at things in a reasonable way. But what, what comes, becomes very clear with the giving of those at Macedonia, of the Philippians, is, is Paul's really, his assessment of their giving becomes one of, this is an evidence of grace rather than percentages and whatever else. I'm thankful for the generosity of this church. This church does give. Anytime there's a need, that need is, is abundantly met and there's such a willingness here. And I, I trust not only will it be sustained, but it will grow. Encouraged just to get report on Monday night with uh, Reverend Boyle and uh, the deacons had uh, sent some monies to help with the finishing of the um, children's room, it's like a Sunday school room in their new building, and that's pretty much finished, which is encouraging to hear, and partly because of, of gifts that have been given, and from here, as well as other places, it enabled them to do it maybe faster than what they had originally planned. That, that's encouraging. Immediately, that room now is being set apart for gospel service. They're, they're going to recommence something they haven't been able to do in almost two years, children's work, Sunday school ministry, and we want to be able to give. And this is the whole context here. They, they want, your care of me hath flourished again. They had given this opportunity, they have been given this opportunity to give. And he speaks of, verse 14, notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. This is, this is material. He's talking here about material giving. And what we are to learn, what we are to learn in, in God's work is, is how to balance sacrifice, giving sacrificially and giving cheerfully. Because I, I think if we give so sacrificially that we kind of begrudged it, I think we're missing the point, right? <laughs> because God loves a cheerful giver. When he talks to, to the Corinthians about their giving, he adds that in. It's not just the sacrifice. There has to be the cheerfulness. So I think if I was to give sacrificially to the point that it would hurt and I was begrudging it, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of missing the point there. So it's, it's how much can I give sacrificially and still be cheerful about it? 
And that's going to be different in us all, isn't it? According to the, the grace of God in our hearts, according to God's grace that He shows us. So we have to learn this. Are you learning it? Have you, have you learned? I always remember, we don't really do it these days. You see it in some of the Baptist churches around here and Maybe, maybe there are. Maybe the occasion will come where we'll have to do some kind of, kind of appeal where I, I make you feel guilty. I, I don't know how I would ever do that. <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. But I remember the Easter convention when Dr. Paisley was alive, and in his church on the Mondays, and you'd have a, a focus on you'd have various visitors and missionaries and so on. But when it came to the appeal, and he would have one or two or three different kind of projects that needed needed uh, support. And, um, <laughs> I mean, he would just make you feel so bad. Like, you, you, he wasn't happy until you were walking out there with nothing left in your, in your pocket. And, of course, this was the time when we didn't really use plastic as much. You know, you, you had your, your coins and your, your paper money in your pocket, and he wanted, he wanted it all. Of course, he liked the silent offerings. I mentioned that before. He liked the silent offerings, those ones that you don't hear the clangs of the, the coins. It's just the paper that's going into the, into the plate, the silent offerings, meaning that people are giving that which may be more substantial. But, but you'd, all, you'd be there, you, you, you would sit there and you'd be in this kind of, this battle, this battle in your mind about, do I have enough gas in the car to go home? <laughs> if I give all of this, you know, and you're, you're kind of, and you would be in this kind of predicament or other matters, other times and seasons in life where you're being challenged and, and is there sufficient grace in the heart that responds? That's what Paul had seen in this church. And when they were given opportunity to give, they did. That's the point. They were given opportunity and they seized upon it. And especially in relation to missionary work, extending the kingdom, getting the word out, doing the things that are primary, of primary importance to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only opportunities to materially bless the missionary, but secondly, opportunities to spiritually encourage the missionary. There's a number of ways they, they encouraged him, particularly here. They had an opportunity to be a blessing, and when they took that opportunity, they handled it in a way that was more of a blessing than what they may have done. I say, first of all, they sent one of their own. They sent one of their own. This was a good thing. We read on in verse 18, that I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. They sent Epaphroditus, one of their own. They didn't use the Macedonia Express. You know, that, that might have been cheaper, possibly, and who knows, maybe even faster or whatever. But they had to, they had to make arrangements, and I don't know how that discussion unfolded. Who can go? Who's the best one to send? But they sent one that was a minister within their context, someone who handled the word, someone who was a, a blessing to that church, and they make him the face of the congregation. They send him. So it's not just a little package that arrives on the door, but it's Epaphroditus with the package. And that, that, that matters, doesn't it? I think there's an added encouragement there when it's not just the care packages, the care packages are good. And, and Reverend Boyle was passing on his appreciation to, so to Judy and to everyone involved with that. 
Uh, thank you on their behalf for that. That was uh, arrived safely. But, but wouldn't it be wonderful if you, if you could kind of like arrive and send the encouragement of a person? Wouldn't it? It would be good. It's good to do that. And sometimes we do that. We send people to go and see works to be an encouragement. I think it's something we could be more deliberate about. But with COVID and everything, you're just, will these days return? Will they? Can we, can we send someone over? What are the requirements? And everything else. So they covered the expenses to send a familiar face. They, they seized upon the opportunity with such readiness that they wanted to encourage Paul not just with the material aspect, but with someone who could stay with him and be an encouragement too. And they sent one of their best, not just one of their own, but one of their best. Go back to chapter 2 and see what Paul writes concerning this man. Chapter 2, verse 25. Paul has said that he wants to come shortly to them. So, if you understand the context here, Epaphroditus has come with the gift, and now Paul's sending him back with a letter. So, Epaphroditus makes his way back with this epistle. Verse 25 then says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. So he's a, he's a companion in labor. He's a fellow soldier. And verse 26, he says, He longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. So he had, he had gladly taken this journey. He had fallen sick. He was sick near to death. To the point, I mean, this isn't just a cold. He, there was a distinct possibility that he could die. And he says, God had mercy on him. Which is encouraging, of course, when you think of it. Paul didn't say, I laid hands on him and healed him or anything of that nature. Just God had mercy on him. God raised him up. But here's, here's the thing. He was full of heaviness. You see it in verse 26. He longed after you all, right, while he was sick. <laughs> and was full of heaviness when you heard that he was sick. You know, you see, when he heard that you knew he was sick, he started to worry. <laughs> he started to worry, not of the fact that he was sick, but that you might worry that he's sick. So he, he's concerned about the condition of heart in the church rather than his own life. This was, this was, this was just like Paul. When, when Paul received, the, look at verse 17 of chapter 4. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So, so when he receives the gift, he's not, thank you for the gift. He, when he receives it, he's, he's more happy about the evidence of grace in their hearts than the actual gift itself. It's, it's, the, it's the evidence of growth and spiritual maturity in this congregation that gladdens his soul more than the actual gift itself. That's it kind of in the opposite. 
It's seeing beyond the actual thing. Epaphroditus, his concern is towards them. They're going to be worried about me. Here's a man, therefore, that doesn't think about himself. Epaphroditus wasn't so self-absorbed when he's sick and hears that they know his concern is about them. He's one of the best. He was, he, he was, he was a standout example. And this is who they send. they send. They send someone that can be of service to Paul. Someone that can be an encouragement. Someone that no doubt was, was very much not focused on himself, but focused on the needs of others. Someone who, who, who was the, the epitome of the spirit of the church. Let's give. Let's give until it hurts. So we, we want to be that kind of people. When the opportunity arises, you know, we do. We do want to send people. We want to be an encouragement to the churches. Maybe there's ways in which we can do this better. This is, these are things to keep in mind. Lastly, opportunities to sacrifice, sacrificially please the Lord. Opportunities to sacrificially please the Lord. In verse 18, you see that all that they were doing was not just a delight to Paul, but it was to the Lord as well. I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So again, he sees, he sees this isn't just for me. He sees how the Lord sees this. It was as the, the, the Old Testament saints who would, who would bring, again, they would bring an animal in accordance with their own wealth. They were all to feel the kind of pangs of not really wanting to part with that creature. So the wealthy didn't get to bring turtle doves. The wealthy had to bring the, 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 the bullock, the, the firstling of it, the, the best. And so as he's, he's bringing that creature, he's feeling the, the kind of financial impact, the, the, not just the, the, the creature itself, but even the you know how it goes, you know, you, you, with, with how they, they raise cattle and the best of the cattle is the one that is, had to be set aside to... Uh, you, you understand how all of that works. So there's a sacrifice that is called upon here that we are to feel most keenly. And when we do that, when we do that, Paul says it's, it's like an odor of a sweet smell. It rises into the nostrils of God, as it were, as something not only acceptable, but well-pleasing to God. It brings pleasure to the Lord. So, we look for opportunities to do that. Right? That's what we look for opportunities to do. When the opportunity is there to to do something that is well-pleasing to the Lord, we seize upon that. We are to... In this, be like our Lord. Go to Ephesians, Ephesians, very quickly, chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, 
as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So this is the example we follow. And we, we can't go, we can't, and nor we ask to put ourselves upon Calvary's cross. He has suffered on our behalf. As he gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, so we are to give what we can. Ah, even our praises, even our praises are seen. Go and read Hebrews 13. I think it's verse 16 thereabouts, where, again, it talks about the sacrifice of praise that we, in giving thanks to his name and all the rest of it. Looking for opportunities, beloved. Looking for opportunities to serve and to show the Lord our love for Him. So may the Lord help us. I'm thankful for the measure of grace that we have. But all that, all that there is more. There's always room for more, isn't there? There's always room for more. There's always greater needs around us if only we had eyes to see them. We don't want to say to ourselves we lacked opportunity when actually we did have opportunity. And we want to put ourselves out as and when we can, with our time and our talents, our money, whatever, that we might bring glory to the Lord and serve His church. May the Lord help us. We'll sing.